Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my accuser. For a while, he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to their chosen ones who cry to God day and night? Will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we turn to you and we look to you for wisdom, for we need it daily. Be in each heart and in each mind. Thank you. Amen. The parable that Rita's just read to us is about the persistent, the, the wisdom of persistence as Jesus applies it to prayer. Pray always, never lose heart, to which we in our Western thinking say, yes, I have no time for that, I can give you approximately one minute. Ah, Jesus isn't speaking to Western thinking. Jesus is speaking to a different audience and to us at the exact same time. Do not lose heart. Pray always. St. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Even when our courage is in short supply, pray anyway, persist anyway. This parable takes the lesson into the journey of justice. So what does prayer have to do with justice? You want to make changes? I think prayer will help. And that takes us into the wisdom of persistence. The parable ends with a question about faith. Will I find faith? Jesus asks. It asks the parable itself, the relationship between this ridiculous judge and this amazing widow. Will we be like the judge or the unstoppable widow? I ask you, which one do you want to be? How many people want to be the judge? How many people want to be the unstoppable widow? Okay, good. Let's ponder. Zoom, I hope you're on target with the sanctuary. Let's ponder. This. The story is about 
clearly a lousy judge who openly did not give a hoot about justice, wisdom, counsel, or human beings. A widow came to him and said, my rights are being violated, protect me. And the judge dismissed her without hearing her case. Perhaps the widow th knew a thing or two about people and could discern the judge's indifference actually served no purpose, no ideology, certainly no understanding of the love of God. Perhaps the judge discounted her as a dumb female, those, those two words should never be put together, but I think they might be in this particular judge's opinion. This was first century Palestine under Roman rule. And yet, what did she do? She kept coming back again and again, and it got underneath his skin, which of course is exactly what she wanted to have happen. Now, on your, the front of your bulletin, you will find a picture by Gerard Dow created in 1631. The Old Woman is the title of his painting. And she is reading, how's your Dutch? She's reading scripture. I don't know if it's Dutch or Latin. I would not know the difference between either of them. But she is reading scripture, and the painting by Dao is done in such perfect detail that those of you, those who know the language can read it. It's Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. And in that story of Zacchaeus, you remember the one thing for which Zacchaeus is known, and it's not the first thought that comes to your head. Forget that Sunday school song you were taught because it missed an entire verse. And the verse is, I will give away half of my income to the poor, says Zacchaeus. And if I'm caught cheating, I will repay four times the damages I caused. Is that in the song about Zacchaeus' stature? No, but that is the story of Zacchaeus. And that is what she is reading, according to art critics who can read it. I'm not, but I can read what they write. Think about 1631, the year. It's a while ago. What was life like? An old woman is reading. If she's old, when is the last time she got her hand on a manuscript? Where were books in 1631? Yes, they'd been printed, but who can get a hold of them? And there she is with a manuscript, a book. Is she ed educated? Is she a scholar? Is she reading scripture as a laywoman or minister? Probably not in 1631 would she be either a priest or a minister. But what did she go through in her life to get to this point to persistently move so that she could read that book of scripture. How did she get her hands on it? Was persistence a part of that? Challenging the norms of 1631 Netherlands? What was it called in 1631? In his painting, Dow gives us the time 
to ponder her story, what she must have gone through, what wisdom she acquired to move through a male-dominated 17th century culture in order to hold a book or a manuscript in her hands. The wisdom of persistence. Typically, it is not a short road. It is a long road, one less traveled, but worthy of every stage of resistance. Persistence is developed by facing resistances, like that spineless judge not giving her anything she wanted. And what did she do, capitulate? Mm -mm. Kept coming back. The wisdom of persistence knows that there may be several, several, several journeys around a repeated road. Otherwise, you may not prevail. Now, one of Jesus's points in this parable is that you will always succeed in one place, and that is prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is not a negotiation with God, though negotiations are very much present in the entire book of Psalms and in our private prayers. Psalms repeatedly include things that God will never do. God, I'm so mad at my enemy that I pray that you, and that's in the Psalms, to give us a voice to say whatever we need as beloved children of God to God so that we don't act on it ourselves. Prayer reminds us that we must persist because we do not always not often at all, get an answer. But do we stop praying? No. We do not get our own way when we pray. But maybe another door will open. And better yet, persisting in prayer, your heart will be filled with a conversation with the creator of the entire world, this holy one who knows your name. Now, we're not stopping on prayer. This is what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus gives it us the context of an unjust, unjust judge and a widow, the powerless and the powerful. Now, last week, Floyd Tompkins blessed us with his sermon on waking up to grace. He reminded us that the apostle Paul did not start that way. He started as a terrorist, an angry, hate-filled man with a mission who got himself upended by grace. Grace is true persistence, and it too is unstoppable like our widow. Grace may temporarily be ignored, as our ornery judge has done, and sometimes we need to stop and wonder where or when are we this judge? Certainly never me, and of course never you, but just think about it in your mind. It's easy to point at somebody else who's the ornery judge. And sometimes we also might need to look inside. Floyd told us about the community, the church at Corinth, which we think of as huge, and he reminded us it was probably pretty small, and he also reminded us, and I would have had 24 more details of how messed up they were. You think of church, 
we think, oh, the book of Corinthians, isn't this a marvelous book? Yes, but Paul is correcting the absurdities of this brand new church that they were practicing. Yet they are the ones who received amazing grace from God. So Saul of Tarsus received amazing grace from God and lo and behold became the apostle Paul. Nobody saw that coming, particularly those 11, then 12 disciples. Sometimes we look at the other and say, well, you are beyond grace. Never. Grace is more persistent than this widow. And grace changes opponents to neighbors. But grace also gives us the ability to accept our opponent as also made in the image of God. Now, John T. Carroll, in his commentary on Luke, writes, the judge finally does intervene in the widow's unspecified legal dispute with an unnamed adversary. We don't know what the problem was, nor do we need to. Not out of any commitment to justice did this judge work, but out of a self-concern, pure and simple. The judge's soliloquy speaks volumes. Because this widow is pummeling me, I will give her justice lest in the end she wears me out by repeatedly coming back. Maybe we are supposed to look at the judge in ourselves and see if we, like him, are persistently lacking wisdom. Diana Roth writes in this current issue of the Christian Century Magazine, some readers of this parable, she says, have come to the conclusion that God is the widow, beating on our doors, trying to convince us to do the right thing. God is the annoyingly persistent one. She continues, persistent prayer and seeking justice both involve struggle, wrestling, honest questioning. We persist because we have learned to trust God, that God is not anything like this judge. Polar opposite is this judge to our God. To persist despite failure and silence is our God in and through us. In this she, Diana Roth, is speaking to both seeking justice as the widow did in our story and what you do in the ministry of your lives and also the wisdom of persistence in conversation with God through prayer where you will find so much motivation to carry on. In our affirmation of assurance after our confession, the Latin phrase, imago Dei, was used, reminding us each, privately and collectively, that you, plural and singular, are made in the image of God, which this phrase means. Who God is has already been imprinted on you, on us. Therefore, the wisdom of persistence is already in your DNA. The widow in the parable 
who is painted in finely dressed clothes in Dao's painting, whether she's a scholar or a grandmother, she reminds you and me that we should continue in the practice of the wisdom of persistence. She had to go through what to get to be represented in that picture. Not just the woman who's being painted, but the person that Tao has in his mind, created in the image of God. This parable with the image of Jesus, this parable with the image of Jesus enabling, empowering, empowering the powerless who upends the powerful and the powerful resistors that we all face is Jesus' image of prayer. Prayer in the name of Jesus, who experienced this his entire earthly life through death and through resurrection. In the name of the one who upends tables of resistance, tables in Pharisees' homes, tables that interfered with justice. The one who drew in the dust and the sand, who invited himself to cheaters' homes, all the while, all the while being irrelevant in the eyes of the powerful in his day and time and now. The phrase, in the name of Jesus, associates us also with being irrelevant. Is that on your to-do list for today? To be irrelevant. Mm, you might want to consider Jesus on this one. He's very relevant to us, but put him in his day and his time. Put the woman reading these scriptures, the widow going to the judge, how relevant are they in society's eyes? We who behold God face to face in prayer, we who are made in the image of God, by God's grace alone, may be irrelevant in society's eyes, maybe even in each other's eyes, but are you irrelevant to God? You have a personal audience every single minute, every single day. We who wake up to the grace in the name of Jesus may be the most powerful, irrelevant ones in society. Congratulations. The phrase, in the name of Jesus, was used by priest and scholar Henri Nouwen when he wrote his book by the same name. He writes, I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future, and he's writing in the 70s, is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in the world with nothing. Now your stewardship committee did not just hear me say that. Let me just quickly pass on. Now in writes, the temptation to be spectacular meets each of us. Jesus faced it in the wilderness, but the temptation was ineffective. Jesus' mission was service and to upend the sleeping and stagnant status quo. Judges and Presbyterian ministers, both. Now in story was that of an academic who was extremely successful at Harvard, 
where, as Nowen writes, questions and answers, problems had solutions, the pains had their medicines, and I said questions and answers, I meant to say questions had answers, there were specifics to be achieved. He felt a call from God to re-examine his professional popularity, and he was, and he did re-examine it. Nowen left Harvard, and, his, and in his words, the individualism of academia, to join the daybreak community in Toronto, where people with and without disabilities lived and live in community, where there are no teachers and students, just mutual learners, persistently learning from each other that they are made with the wisdom of God and in the image of God. Which brings me back to the widow in our story. She is but one of many widows that Jesus uses as an example. A couple of more. Anna, the prophet, in the nativity story. And in Jesus' inaugural sermon in Luke chapter 4, Jesus uses as an example of God's abundant grace not anyone from the community of Judeo. He went straight back to a foreigner, the widow of Zarephath, who rescued Elijah. When she had nothing, she gave the last that she had out of her nothing to Elijah that he might live. That got Jesus into a lot of trouble. Then Jesus offers the miracle of resurrected life to a son of a widow in name. Jesus ends this parable with that question. Will I find faith on earth? Will I? Looking at this parable and through most of the Gospel of Luke and the other three Gospels, indeed God will find faith, but often in unlikely places. Not so much among we religious professionals, which is embarrassing, nor among the mighty and the powerful or the self-serving, but in those who practice the wisdom of persistence on behalf of others. And thus I pray for you, in the name of Jesus. Amen.